on this latest edition of the podcast, Dan Pellegrino joins me to talk some Major League Baseball. 20 games, about a third of the way into the season. What are the prospects going forth? How is this season different than all other seasons? We also discuss an article from Sports Illustrated regarding pitching in Major League Baseball written by Tom Verducci. Is the fastball dying as a baseball staple? And then, of course, I can't let Dan go without talking about his beloved San Diego Padres. Always great to talk baseball with Dan. Coming up next. Always great to talk to Dan Pellegrino, fresh off a golf conquest of our friend Tony Nix. Tony back down in Southern California. Dan, of course, he and Tony came up together at Poway High School, played Riverside together. So Dan takes him out to the golf course, and he beats him. Now, did you have a significant home course advantage, or is it a course you and Tony had both played? Full, full disclosure, significant home course advantage. Okay. I know every hole, but that uh, you can say that for you know a lot of the courses down here in San Diego. Tony's lived all over the place since we've graduated high school, right? Um, yeah. And and most all over the place, not including San Diego. And I've lived a lot here, so yeah. uh, I've had an opportunity to play a lot more here. So definitely advantage me in that regard. Okay. So let me ask you. Here's the question. Two on two, you and Nick's Andreessen Orozco on the golf course. Who wins? Oh, boy. I, oh, man. Just from a just from a sheer being a competitor standpoint, you know, you know, who I'm going to going to going to answer. It's me and Tony. A hundred percent. Pitchers are non-athletes and they would fold like cheap lawn chairs. Don't tell Nate, Nathan Choke that he, he'll get really yeah. angry. <laughs> Well, we'll have him. He'll be, the, he'll be the special guest referee. So, or I'll have you know what I'll do is we'll do it. I'll do the call and we'll have Choate. He'll be my my analyst and we'll do it that way. Um, but hey, always great to talk baseball with you. Um, let's start first of all. I know you made the call to Rob Manfred, your good friend this morning. Um, Joseph Kelly, your old teammate, suspension cut from eight to five. In the long run, I don't know if three games means that much but fairly significant because there obviously was some backlash with the incident between the Astros and the A's earlier this week, probably for major league baseball. Right. No, I, I it's a good point. And I, it really does make you wonder in the shortened season. I, I, and I don't know how much this was talked about uh, in the media or, or if you've discussed it with, with other folks on your, on your shows, uh, Gasol, but, eight games in a 60 game season is like almost a sixth of the season. So what, so you're going to suspend him 24 games. You're going to suspend him a whole month for that. Give me a break. Give me a a break. I'm sorry. Yeah. And I know you're a Kelly guy, but it was interesting because I was looking this morning, I was running through the standing. So obviously the Astros not playing well. I think right now they're 10th or 11th in the American league. But one of the things I look at, which is a pretty good indicator, is you know run differential. By the end of the year, when everything is said and done, usually the top teams are the top teams in run differential, right? There's always an outlier or two. But right now, their seventh are the Astros in run differential in the American League. And what's interesting is, I was looking at the numbers, Jose Altuve, 182. You know, Bergman, just over 200. Um, but Carlos Correa, you know, he's at 330. 
Had a couple of home runs. He seems to be playing well. Uh, Astros offense, uh, not in, in great shape right now. But, but this is the question for you. I mean, we are now a quarter of the way through the season. I mean, we're almost mm-hmm. at 20 games. Teams mm-hmm. have played between 15 and 20 because we've had a couple of teams have like are at 11 or 12 because the crazy, you know, the COVID stuff. But, well, you know, it's August 12th today. We're a third of the way through the Major League Baseball season. It's going to be a sprint to the end. It's almost like a college season for you guys. So we're ready to start Big West play right now. Right. It, it's it's nothing. This this Major League Baseball season is nothing like we've ever seen in, in the history of Major League Baseball, to be honest. So so you mentioned a couple of things that stuck out to me. First of all, uh, we're, we're a quarter of the way through the season. And how many games have they played? 20? It's like seven. Like Depending on the team, some teams have played right. as few as 12. But most like 16, 17, okay. 18, okay. we're in that range. Yeah, yeah, we're in that so, range. So in, so in any, so in any no, what we would call normal season, full schedule 162, right, they're – at the end of April right now. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is such a microcosm of what a real season is and such a small sample size that by no means am I hitting the panic button if I'm any of those guys. Now, yeah. there is extenuating circumstances with the Astros, of course, right? But uh, with that said, uh, you know, these guys are superstars. They're professionals. We've, we've talked about it before. They, they, would hit, they could hit the ball before they – whether they knew it was coming or not, they're, they're right. the best in the world. So, so, but the other part that stuck out to me, I guess also is, is it's August 26th, or you mentioned it's a, yeah. What is it? August 12th. Right. If now, if those numbers are the same and we're playing a full schedule and it's August 12th, now we're right. panicking. Yeah. Now there's right. something wrong. Right. So that's kind of, that's, that's where I'm at. You know, and I've always said, I said from the beginning when this thing first came out, you want to get back at the Astros, you beat up on them. Make yeah. them win 70 games. When you're up 7-1, to one, steal third base. What are they going to say, right? You steal third base, up 70 games, pimp the home runs, do the bat flips, you know. Um, and, it, it, you know, again, I think they're 7-10 and 10 right now. But what's interesting is in a normal major like, – my theory is this. And I've talked to a lot of people. i talked to Doug. i talked to Troy, a lot of people. Modern Major League Baseball, I don't even think you'll look at the standings till about 30 or 40 games, you know. So you're, you're May 15th, okay, then you maybe look a little bit. Um, I forget who it was. There was a player, um, he was a veteran guy. It might have been Cal Ripken. It might have been Rip. No, it was, you know, it was Chipper Jones. But they were interviewing Chipper Jones at the All-Star game, and they are talking about the Braves. You know, this is when they were on that tremendous run, Dan, in the 90s when they were winning their division and whatnot. And... They were, I don't think they were in first place. They were behind this particular year. And, you know, the guy asked him, are you worried at all? He's like, well, listen, no, I'm not. Because it's July 15th and we're 10 games out, okay? So I'm going to look up on August 1st, and if we're seven, eight games out, I'm good. And I'm going to look up on September 1st, and if we're five to six games out, you know, he's like, we still have a month to make up. You can do that. You can make up seven games and this is when the wild card was still in the, in the play like you can make up seven games in two months you know you got to play mm-hmm. one game better a week that's not the case now that's right. not the case because you don't want to fall i mean and that's the whole thing is i'll we'll go through there's more playoff teams obviously this year and so you're bunched together a little bit um but now you know if 30 games in you're 10 games out you only have 30 games to make those 10 games up Yep. No, no question. And, and, and I think you, you, you nailed it, right? The, 
seven games is if you play one game better a week and it, it takes you seven weeks to to make to make up seven games right but uh and and also typically at at the end of a schedule a normal schedule you're playing within your division head to head a lot more than what you do throughout the course of the other the prior months in the season right and that's by design so crazier things can happen is what i'm saying seven seven games with two months to play is not insurmountable by any means we've seen teams blow big way bigger leads than that with less time so it's yeah. uh you know i mean you know and, and we were we were talking i don't want to rehash it we were talking last week about some of the rules and the expanded playoffs and all this stuff and i'm realizing now that forget that for a second this is a totally different game okay this is you know and me and troy person will have this conversation obviously his major league experience coming in coaching in college and he said he admitted to me he said you know two years in i had to, i had to learn that college baseball is a completely different game than major league baseball. He's like, I came in and I knew he's like, I knew there were differences. I'd played college baseball. He said, I thought I could manage very similarly to how you do in major league baseball. And for the most part you can, but there are certain nuances you have to grasp. And to me, I'm a baseball fan. I'm eight years old. I'm like you, right? Uh, The greatest thing about major league baseball is that 162 game grind, you know, because a game in April is just as important as a game in September if it's a close race, right? If you're down two games, where does it matter where you pick up the game or not? And it's about the 25-man roster. And it's about the four or five guys that shuttle back and forth from AAA. You know, it's 30 to 35 players that are going to make this team work. And that's not so much the case this year. This year, I think you're going to see a couple teams in the playoffs that are going to ride the hot streak. You know, you talk about a player who can, you know— put a player, put a team on his back, a couple of those guys are going to have a huge impact on teams, maybe not winning in the postseason, but certainly getting into the postseason, Daniel. No question, and you're seeing it with the Reds right now, right? They're they're hot as could be, and, and they're a team that some, a lot of people pick them as a surprise team, but the 162-game schedule is exactly what makes this game so difficult and so great, in my opinion, right? And And one of my favorite cliches, and I'm sure you've heard it before, is, uh, you you can't win a division in in April, but you can certainly lose it. So the the analogy is right. If you rattle off ten in a row in April and and win, you know, go on a ten game winning streak, that doesn't by any means necessarily mean you're going to run away with the division and win it. But if you lose ten in a row, uh, you can drop out of the race really fast. I sent you an article. I saw this article with Tom Verducci about pitching in baseball. And if it's if you haven't read it, it's it's on SI. And let me give you the, the title. It's it's a weird title that they have on it. It says, uh, "But Major League Pitch Hitchers, the 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 fastball is disappearing. What does it mean for MLB's future? What was unthinkable five years ago is not the norm, but the way forward." So. The headline isn't really that good, but to me, and I, you, you said you picked up the article, the article to me was interesting, and all it was doing was it was describing a trend in that the the idea of the fastball count and just the fastball dominance of Major League Baseball was being reduced and pitches were relying on more on secondary pitches. You're still using the fastball to set up your secondary pitches, but it's almost like your fastball is becoming a decoy, and as a result, the pitchers are actually coming out ahead. It's harder to hit you know, because guys can no longer sit on the dead red. And it brought up a couple of conversations that I'd had. Um, I was talking with a scout at, this year, or maybe last year, it was last year. And he was telling me that, you know, 
90, you know, 10 years ago, 94, 95, that guy was on your radar. Now, if he's not pumping 97 in college, this is college guys, he was saying, if he's not pumping 97, he's not really on my radar until, until much later. Like the top guys we're identifying are those guys 97 plus, which had changed a lot since 10 years before. And then the other thing I remember, uh, you know, Troy Percival telling me about just coaching college pitchers is he was also he wanted all his guys to know have a really good secondary pitch. He's like, I want them to have a secondary pitch as good as the fastball, and then they're going to have a couple other pitches they can mix in to know how to use it. And you know, obviously, Dan, you know, you played professionally and you were a catcher. I know you pitched a little bit, but that was more of an anomaly. What were your thoughts reading this piece? And you know, they go into some depth. They quote a bunch of guys. Verlander is quoted in it. They got a lot of numbers, you know, that they've compiled over the last five or six years. But from like a living, breathing part of the game, give give me your perspective. Yeah, no, I I like the article. I I really did, and I think it it. It shed some good light on on some perspective, right? Because uh, the, the you, you said a, a word that really stuck out to me: trends, right? And the the game is all about trends. What's trendy right now? It's the it's the long ball, and uh, you know how many home runs can you hit in in, in the fewest number of at bats, right. right? And um and how hard can you throw the baseball? from the mound, from 60 feet, six inches away. Okay. And how many guys can you strike out? That, 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 you know, well, it's, it's, you know, we're in a, we're in a, we're in a game, you know, the game you grew up playing is different than the game I grew up playing. It's now about walks, strikeouts, home runs, and exit velocity. You hear more about exit velocity now than you do about pitcher velocity. It's, it's insane. It's insane how, how some of those advanced or what used to be considered type advanced type metrics are now commonplace. But, uh, you know, it, it's really interesting when you take a step back and think about it, because you look at, OK, what what do what what do, uh, you know, front offices really, really value? And I think about the Padres, right, because obviously they're I'm biased and I love them and they're awesome to watch now. And and I'm super happy. We'll, but, get, we'll get to that. We'll get to them. Yeah, Jim. right. Right. But what is Preller? What is A.J. Preller? Uh, what is what is he really, really on on guys? And why did. Why did we get rid of Urias and why did we get rid of some of these young guys who have a lot of talent from a metrics perspective, right? Uh, he, he's looking at on-base percentage. That's why he got rid of Hunter Renfro, right? So, uh, and, and that's a, what I would call an old-school metric. So how do you get on base? You put the ball in play. You hit the ball the other way to beat the shift where four infielders are on the right side. You do things a little bit old-school and a little bit what would be considered now unconventional, Right. So the game, in my opinion, is shifting back that way uh, it, very slowly. And it's hard to see, I think, right now. But um, I think the teams that are able to get out ahead of that trend are the teams that are going to have a, a, a group of years where they're successful, um, you know, in terms of getting to the playoffs and ultimately winning champion, get, having chances to win championships. We talk about this in other sports way more than we do in baseball. And I, I don't know what your feeling is, Dan. To me, in baseball, I think it's almost more important for the front office to really have a vision, you know. And we saw, you know, they touched on it if you read the book or watched the movie Moneyball. It, it's a little bit different in that they were kind of forced into a corner, right? So the A's were a low-budget team. So their 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 vision was, okay, how can a low-budget team 
compete with teams that are spending two and three times more than us. Okay, that was their vision. You know, maybe your vision, like you know, you're, you know, the Yankees in the in the '60s and the '50s, they had a they had a short right field porch. So they're like, all right, let's any kid, any 18 year old kid from Oklahoma who's a left handed hitter and can hit with power, we're going to draft them, we're going to develop them. You know, the Dodgers for years were about pitching. You know, we're going to develop great, great pitchers. So there's a vision. There's a vision that goes into it. But I want to ask you specifically about the pitching aspect of it as a catcher. You know, um, in college, you had a lot of talented arms. But there's a difference between being a good pitcher in college and actually making the big leagues. And I'll bring up one of your teammates, Matt Andrees. You know, um, I remember talking to scouts about Andrees. And I think his junior year, he was pumping about 92, 93, you know, Good secondary pitches, obviously, as well. And I, I'll throw Orozco in here, too, because Orozco's changeup was ungodly. When he was on, I called mm-hmm. that Sacramento State game where he struck out 15. Um, scouts talking about that kid, you know, he, and he pointed this, he said, that's a kid that's going to get drafted high because of his command. He doesn't, yeah, he doesn't right. throw 95, because back then they were still talking about 95 as the, as the benchmark. But we, his command means here's a guy who's going to go to the minors, he's going to get better, and he'll be in the big leagues in three years. And he was. So some of these scouts actually know what we're talking about. Um, what's the difference for you? Did you see that difference when you were catching? Maybe not just with those guys, but like it would seem that the guys who succeed in college have very good secondary pitches. A hundred percent. So the the list of names, at least that I played with in college at, at UCR, what is long with just what you're talking about, guys that did not light up the radar gun, but knew how to pitch. They had secondary pitches. They had a plan on how they wanted to attack hitters and how to attack a lineup. And then they could go out and execute that plan. I think Matt Andres, obviously perfect example. And he's he's. Um, I think the the prime example of doing things the right way, doing everything the right way and understanding who starting to understand who he is as a pitcher. Right. He's not going to go out there and throw it 97 every pitch, but he needs to have movement and locate and, and execute his pitches. And he figured out how to do that to the best of his ability. And now he's competing at the highest level in, in a in a, a successful, successful capacity. Right. Um, guys like Joe Kelly, in my mind, are, are an anomaly. Right. Um, and granted, not it, not in terms of big league talent. There's every everybody throws 97 in the big leagues, like you mentioned. But how fast he got up to the big leagues and how he made an in, how impactful he was almost immediately upon breaking on the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that's because he had that measurable metric, the, the 100 mile an hour fastball. Right. But now here's here's the list of guys. Think of the list of guys that that were in the 2008 to 2011 realm that pitched um, below, you know, in the low low 90s, high 80s that played pro ball. I think of Dylan Stewart, Matt Larkins, Dustin Emmons, Eddie Orozco, you know, Mike Wolford. The list goes on and on and on, and they Zach. had a chance to play. Yeah, Zach, yeah, Zach Varela. Varela. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and he. Zach, I only I played with him for his first two years. He redshirted the first year because he was he was injured, and then the second year he barely pitched, and that was my senior year, right? And he ended up getting drafted and playing pro ball. So, and he didn't throw ninety seven. So the yeah. list just goes on. These guys just they learn how to pitch, and at a very very high level. And yeah. I, I think you know we might look ahead ten years from now and look at the roster of of pitchers on that team that had a cup of coffee in pro ball. And I would call what I had a, 
a cup of coffee and what Eddie had a cup of coffee, right? A couple years. Well, you know, whatever I'm, it was. Convinced, I'm convinced if Eddie doesn't get hurt, I, I and I, I, you know, maybe I, I'm, I'm just, he had all the measurables and all the intangibles of a guy who would have stuck, would have stuck around. Maybe he wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have been an Andreas guy. I could have totally seen him in the bullpen of that 2016 Cubs team. Same hundred percent. And, and, and here's kind of where I'm going with all of this, right? We might look ahead 10 years from now, or, you know, or, or we might look back on this conversation in 2030 and say, wow, that, that team from 2008 and 2011, we might have had 15 guys that, that pitchers, and I'm talking pitchers only, that played pro ball for a short period of time. Ten of them might have been in the big leagues if they were in college now. Oh right, if that yeah, makes yeah. sense. Yeah, right? I know that makes the game sense. Yeah. So, and I and conversely, like I kind of look back and and I say, okay, if that team was assembled in the late '90s, or maybe just prior to the steroid era, when the Maddox and Glavin and Smoltz and and Kerry Woods and the, you know those guys, right, early '90s before before steroids were really a thing, those guys knew how to pitch, similarly to what that group, that UCR group that we just named, right? So it, it, it's interesting. You might have seen six, seven, eight big leaguers out of the group instead of two, uh, just depending on the era. So it, it's so, timing. So it's, yeah, all of that. I know, yeah, I know you got to go. we got to get to the Padres. But the last question I want to ask you is the nuance, right? So okay. Kelly and Andres, you kind of knew those guys were, were big leaguers really early, you know? They're special. But I, you know, but a guy like a Varela you bought up, a guy like a Joey Dunyon, you know, and I think Joey, if he hadn't been hurt, we might be talking about Joey as well. But what's the difference? So you're catching. So obviously with Joe Kelly, you're putting down the number one 80 percent of the time and he's just going to blow guys away. But where's the interplay between you as the catcher and a guy like an Orozco? Take me through an Eddie Orozco start. How would you work it? Because he threw the ball pretty hard, but. His bread and butter, I thought, was the off-speed stuff, was the change, and he had a decent breaking ball. But it was the, it was, you know, it was more. It, he was more about strategy, right? It was how right. you guys structured the game more than with. Not that Andres and Kelly didn't have strategy, but their their stuff. It was electric, you know. Remember that game in Long Beach? You, you know, you're just going at that point. You're just going on autopilot. Whereas the other guys, it's kind of. I, I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can correct me. It seemed like more of a give and take with you and those other guys. So there's there's a strategy to to catching and working with every diff, every pitcher because every pitcher is different and every pitcher has different strengths and exactly what you said Joe and and Matt Andres right uh, could outstuff guys like it it was almost to the point where and, and more in Joe's case I think in college than than Andres because he was a little two different types of pitchers right but mm-hmm. um, I could put down and and I you know. Uh, our coaching staff called the game. I didn't call the game, but um, I, I, I did at some points later in my career. I could put down any number and it wouldn't matter and they'd make the pitch and the guy would get get out, right? Now right. with the other group, it's it, it, like the, okay, an Eddie uh, or a, uh, you know, some of those guys that you name, a Dustin Emmons, right? Uh, Joey Dunyan, some of those guys. It, there's a, a plan of attack that has to be there. And there's nonverbal communication. And it's almost like we have to be reading each other's minds because I talk to my my kids that I coach about it every single day, but my catcher specifically, like the tempo of the game and the rhythm that you're in with the pitcher is everything. 
in terms of, okay, is the pitcher sitting up there and shaking you off three times between every pitch and then getting the one he wants? Or are you just able to pretty much read his mind because you're so on the same page in terms of how you want to attack the hitters and how you want to attack the lineup that you get into that rhythm and you get into that flow, and that's how you get your team momentum and give your team a chance to win. So, it's funny. so there's it's, a huge yeah. aspect to that, right? It's great that you brought that up because the the rhythm thing was perfect. Eddie Orozco was a rhythm guy, you know, mm-hmm. that he, if he was in a rhythm, it, his stuff almost didn't matter. You know, like yeah. I saw him have good stuff and not be in a rhythm and give up hits. Yeah. I saw him struggling with his stuff, but he, when you were catching or who Bart was catching and he'd be in a flow and yeah, you know, they get three or four runs off him, but he'd be on the mound still in the seventh or eighth inning. And, right. and that was in Trevor. I'll throw Trevor Frank in there. I know you caught Trevor as well. Yep. Trevor was yep. that same way. And then, you know, Trevor was throwing like 90, 91, even though he wasn't a, a huge, he wasn't a big guy, but man, when he was dialed in, it was difficult for teams regardless of how he was thrown. And I found that interesting. So you're able, you're able to teach that. So are you, so I'm assuming you work with your catchers heavily. Uh, on uh, your, on your, uh, I, I, definitely. So I, you know, I manage it, manage the team obviously at, at my level, um, right. but but I always build from behind the plate. I always try to bi- spend most of my time with the catchers uh, only because I think uh, there's only a couple of them, two, three of them on the team, one, right? And there's only one of me, but two, mm-hmm. it's so important because I also let them call a lot of the game and I'm trying to teach them how, to, because I think that's how, that's how I learned so much. I think about the game uh, in high school and, and prior is because I, I called my own game. So I learned from my mistakes. I started to learn how to work with pitchers. And that's what made me, I think, uh, the catcher that I was defensively and, and, and had the, the, I would say, just baseball kind of awareness and savvy that I have because I, I went through all that growing up and, and saw how important I could, I could influence a game. I could win a game but, and go 0 for 4. Uh, but if I called a great game and my pitcher was in sync and we, and we threw a shutout and won one nothing. Like, I feel like I won the game myself, you know? So well, listen, that's listen. how big of an impact I, I, I feel like it has. You know, you, I mean, you, you were even saying you had a cup of coffee and pro ball, whatever. I'll tell you what, you know, yeah, you didn't play a long time. Brian Sabian doesn't draft dumb players. I'm going to tell yeah, you that right true. now, you know? So, I mean, I toot your horn a little bit, but Brian Sabian doesn't draft dumb guys. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. And you played with, for Buck Showalter for a little bit. And, and right. those are valued. It's funny. There's a catcher who reminded me of you. And I, I'm going to I'm going to be real with you, Dan. He's a little bit better athlete than you were. But he played for, <laughs> L- he played for <laughs> LMU. He played, <laughs> he played for LMU. No, he played for LMU. Defensively, you guys were like twins. Like, and he even wore he wore number nine. Cooper Yule is his name. And I'm watching him. And I'm like, damn, I'm watching Pellegrino, you know. And um you guys offensively were very similar in that. I think his lifetime average was like 230, but every one of his hits came at a big time. You know, he yeah. they 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 had that run at UCLA a couple of year a couple of years ago in the postseason, and he had like every big hit for them. You know, so cool. uh, he got drafted. But he, I remember watching him, and I'm like, damn, he reminds me of Pellegrino because he was so good defensively. And in fact, he won the conference defensive player of the year one year awesome. uh, from and then yeah I guess he yeah, I think he got drafted and he's in the minors right now um, but yeah it is interesting uh, you know Doug Smith would always joke with me that catchers are a better brand of people okay before I let you go <laughs> catchers and left handers better brand of human, human being right yeah, yeah. exactly well, you know you got a center fielder like Nick's you need a good catcher to direct it I'm kidding. 
Tony. Tony was fit. We gotta have Tony. We gotta have you and Tony on together or something. Um, We'd love it. He would love it. Yeah. Uh, San Diego. So ML, if you go to MLB.com, you have a little minute. Uh, MLB.com has an article today, Dan. You'll love this. Nine reasons why uh, Potters are the MLB's hot team. You know, I want to. Uh-huh. I'm going I'm to turn it over to you right now, but I'm going to. I'm going to read you some numbers, and I'm going to give credit to where I got it from. All right, here's three players. Their numbers through 100 career games. Okay, player one. Slash line: 283, 315, 488. 53 runs, 39 extra base hits, 14 homers, 58 RBI, 9 stolen bases. Player 2, through 100 games, slash, 302, 360, 497. 72 runs, 39 extra base hits, 15 homers, 52 ribbies, 27 stolen bases. Player 3, 100 games, slash line, 320, 385, 625. So OPS over 1,000. Yeah, just over 1,000. 76 runs, 54 extra base hits. 30 of those being home runs, 70 ribbies, 20 steals. You take a guess who those three guys are? Yep. Player three is Fernando Tatis Jr. The other two players are Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez. Player one, Alex Rodriguez. Player two, Mike Trout. So we're talking. Yeah. And that's from Ryan M. Spader. His uh, Twitter handle, the Ace of Spader, tweeted that on August 9th, uh, 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 a couple days. So the numbers have been updated since then. But how about that? I mean, Tatis has more home runs through 100 games than Trout and Rodriguez combined. Now, we just had that conversation about how the home run is such a premium now. So maybe that's just the the way the game has gone. But if you look at the standings today, the Padres in third place would be the number three team in in the National League overall. And playing some very, very good baseball, I know you have to be excited about that. I, I'm I'm loving watching the energy that they have, and I did not know Jay Stingler, the, their new manager, before he came in. I thought I, I I misjudged him, to be honest, and and I will put that out there and say that I misjudged him. I I I thought that he was probably just one of AJ's uh, drinking buddies from college, right? And then he you know he didn't have. Uh, big league managing experience. I don't think he had experience uh, coaching in the big leagues, even as a bench coach or, or whatever. Um, so when he got the job, it, uh, uh, you know, uh, over a couple of the candidates that we interviewed. So I, I was under the under, understanding that we interviewed Brad Osmus and we interviewed Phil Nevin, who I both think would have been good fits. Um, I think Jace Tingler right now is the perfect fit for this mix of guys um, and, and it's just been really fun to watch. And, and it's so much more fun because my wife's starting to get into it, too. And we're starting to plan our evenings around it a little bit. Like, Isn't okay, it beautiful? We need to, we need to go to a, on our walk uh, uh, early tonight because the game, is, first pitch is 640 against the Dodgers. Like, it, it, it's so much fun. Danny, you know I mean? Danny. Hey, get the MLB app and put the headphones in and turn on Teddy Leitner, man. I mean, come on. Oh, I'm all over Uncle Teddy. I, I feel <laughs> yeah. like me and him are best buds. Him and Jesse Agler are, are amazing. <laughs> um, it's a point you bought up. We bought up earlier. This is about a vision, okay? So AJ Preller, right? Are you were you an AJ Preller guy from the beginning? I, I much like so a, a little tidbit about me. I'll, I'll justify my answer here for a second. Uh, in my younger years, I was. Very much uh, against change. So so I, I what I'm realizing is I didn't like AJ because it was different. It was much different. Mm-hmm. I love that he came in and shook it up in 2015, right? 
Um, but I, 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 it took me a while to get on board. I'm and we're starting to see the fruits of it. And we, we heard, we heard, Oh, it's going to be three years. It's four years away. Okay. It's going to be two. And now it's next year. Okay. Now it's 2019. Okay. Now it's going to be 2020 before we really start seeing the fruits of what we call that stacked minor league system. And the Padres have had the number one rated farm system now for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you're right. It's vision. It's, it's something that just takes time to build and you, you need to bi- see the trends of the game, kind of like what we talked about and build your team and your farm system around what's going to be successful with where the game's at, at the time that those kids are in their prime. Yeah, and, and, it's but that, complicated. Yeah. Well, and that's, what's interesting is that Preller has really gone kind of events conven- against conventional wisdom, right? Cause what are the Padres doing quality contact, right? So they're putting the ball in play. They're not doing this strikeout, walk, home run thing. And they're still – they're one of the few teams that's still stealing bases. Yeah, now, the granted, they have the personnel to do that, and that that's part of the vision is that – you know, I, I hear this about football a lot. I talk to high school football coaches, and the guys who do well – you know, obviously the private schools are all going to do well. But how does a guy at a smaller school succeed? And the trend that I've seen or the, the, the what I've recognized is – the guys that know their rosters, you know, the guys that know, okay, hey, Dan Pellegrino's a wide receiver for us, but if we need him to play tight end, he can play tight end. If we need him to fill in at linebacker, he'll do that. you got to know that before you do it, right? So if I know that in July and then in week six somebody gets hurt, hey, Dan, can you take a couple of snaps at linebacker and you've done it in July, you're all good. I, I, I always joke with you about Anthony Rizzo because I know that hurts you. I think <laughs> – I think – I think that demon is done. I'm going to give you the name is how about Trent Grisham? How about the year Trent Grisham is having and oh what a steal that looks like right now for the Padres. Oh boy. I was beside myself when, when we made that deal because I, I, I thought that Urias was, was one of the pieces of the future. And it's funny. I was, I was having a conversation over text this morning with, with my buddies and, and I'll finish that thought in a second, but Urias and Lauer are the two that went over, right? And Lauer's, right. he's a nice starting pitcher. I, I think on a contending team, he's a, he's a solid number four, right? Maybe, maybe a really good number five on a contending team. So at the time when they made the deal, I, I, I didn't know anything about Grisham, but just watching him in the short sample that I've seen him, what an athlete, 23 years old, holy cow, that kid is, and he's just learning how to play. He's going to be really good, really yeah. good. And we, and in it, my it, mind, it, we already won that deal. But, but, but that's the whole thing is like it's it. You, you mentioned the energy. He is a total fit. I don't I didn't because I don't know what his fit was from Milwaukee to San Diego. But you right. watch the energy of the Padres. He completely fits the energy of the way that team is playing right now. Yep, yep. And and you mentioned um, okay how how the pieces kind of fit together. And you mentioned yeah. the word fit, right? So. The conversation I was having this morning with my buddies is, uh, you know, my buddies said, oh, look at the left side of our infield. It's it's better than um, anybody. I'll put it up against any left side of the infield in in Major League Baseball. Right. And it's Tatis and and Machado. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Man, maybe Arenado and Story are the other two that pop out to me. Okay, Um, as as maybe comparable. Right. So uh, but I said I said I said left side. Look at the entire infield, and I named like six or seven guys, 
many of which are, and one of them is Greg Garcia, who's a local San Diego boy, right? But mm-hmm. uh, it's Hosmer, it's Cronenworth, it's, um, you know, it's Garcia, it, the platoon that we have going on at, at first and second base right now with Hosmer being sick. It's all of that, that, in, that to me, the interchangeability, you know, and the fit, it, that, that's the best infield in the league. And the Dodgers have been doing it, by the way, for a long time. And you see the way they move. MVP Cody Bellinger around. He played four right. different positions the other night in one right. game. So yeah. um, they're ahead of the curve in that regard. But but the point is, you know, yeah, the infielder is the infielders are four guys at a time when you think of first base, short, second, third. But we have seven quality pieces there, uh, the the Padres that are interchangeable. And you know, it may not benefit us as much in a sixty game season as it would in a 162 game season. No, see, I think it, I, I think it benefits you more, Dan. It may. I think it benefits it you more because you're playing, you know, whatever, whatever's left, you're playing 33 games in 35 days. You need that. Depth. You know I mean? I mean, like I'm, I follow the Yankees and they've had injuries. You need those extra guys now more than ever, because right. you know, it's going to be hard to go trade for somebody because so many teams are going to be alive for the playoffs. Who's going to be a seller when there's eight spots in each league. Right. No, it's it, it's going to be very, very interesting. But that's a great point that you make, too. And we kind of we kind of touched on it last time uh, regarding the, you know, the grind of the season. How do you keep your superstars fresh and have them playing their best? Right. What What is the appropriate number of days off? Because I'll tell you what's not appropriate is, and have to have a guy the, as fresh as possible for October is having Manny Machado standing out at third base 162 days in a row. He ain't going to be fresh in October if he's doing right. that, right? right. So right. it's just a fine balance, and that's that's what my managing stuff. Dan Pellegrino, I'm going to do my home run call for you. His name in Italian means traveler, and he's going to travel around the bases. No. Um, <laughs> I, I think you only hit one home run that I called, so I, that's what I used. Um, I always love talking baseball. You're like my John Heyman. I love, you're my baseball insider. I love talking baseball with you. Enjoy the Padres tonight. I'll check in with you in a couple weeks. How's your team doing before I let you go? Um, doing doing well. Uh, we're, we're just we're trying to find a Labor Day tournament or something in September that we can go to oh, that is pra- not going to be playing. shut down. You're not yeah, playing. We're, you're we're practicing. practicing. We're, we're not allowed to play outside in competition right now because of COVID. Uh, we were we were scheduled to go to a Yuma Arizona tournament in two weeks that already got canceled because of COVID. Um, so we're. We're thinking about. I mean, we're even willing to fly across the country to, to go play. We just we just want to play, and right. and we're ready. So I, I know I said I'll let you go, but I you know college sports now, right? So um, mm. in terms of baseball, everything I have heard is that baseball is going to get it. You know, we're going to do ba- we're going to do baseball. What is interesting is now with with the latest, you know, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten deciding not to play football in the fall and trying to push to the spring, and we've heard rumors about other sports getting pushed. The NCAA came out today, and they're not going to penalize athletes. You know, if they don't play, obviously the eligibility they're going to they're going to give a waiver to certain eligibility rules. It's different in baseball because baseball is not a full ride sport, right? Okay. So the rule is right: you have five years to play four, and you can be on scholarship for five years. Baseball, as you know, it's thirty five guys on a roster, and you you literally have twelve scholarships to spread among those thirty five. And it's I always hurt for you guys. When I see these football and basketball, not that they don't deserve it, but 
they get these what they call them novelty scholarships, you know. Right. Oh, right. you know, this guy was, you know, the he was the the scout team holder and he they all love him and now he's gonna get his guy. Like, well, what about these baseball guys who are, you know, humping loans left and right, you know? Um what do you think? So baseball wise, obviously, we saw it interesting in this year's draft, and the draft was only five rounds. Mm-hmm. So Teams were getting bargains because there were guys signing as free agents, you know, for it was a $20,000 cap. I'm wondering if you're, let's say you're in that position. Okay. You're a fourth year guy. You're a senior and you don't get to play your senior year. So your option is, okay, you can come back and next year, you know, that won't count against you. You can go play in 2020 or 2021 or, Hey, you know, I, I won't make it to Padres because the Padres probably would have said yes. Hey, Dan, I'm, the, I'm, I'm, you know, whatever, John, whoever from the Texas Rangers, we're going to pay you $20,000 to come, and I know it's your dream to play Major League Baseball. Where would you weigh in? How, how would that decision go for you? I, I, I got to come at it from a standpoint of uh, where I was, at the, where my head was at the time as a 21, 22-year-old. Uh, I, I say, where do I sign? You you turned the Giants down, though. I did. I did. Uh, and I – that was the probably the hardest decision I've ever had to make in my life to date still. And I'm 31 now. And I made that decision when I was 20. So I don't know if that's a fair decision to put on a 20 year old. No, but, no, no, no. But I'm saying is so, did, yeah. uh, so let's get into it. I don't, I don't want right. you to give anything up, but so you were a yeah. junior, you were a junior, yeah. you had a little bit of leverage. So did they come at you with some dollars that, that would have made it worth it for you to sign? No, uh, no. That so there was no, there was almost no money. It was basically a a, a bus ticket, essentially a plane ticket, right? And and a, a guaranteed roster spot for like basically I don't know the spring training and that next year I might have played. I might have oh, okay. broke camp and played. Uh, I probably would have broke camp and played short season A, right? Um, I think I was Winston Salem at the time with the Giants, mm-hmm. um, but. You know, here's what here was what the the two options were. It was I either sign for uh, a a less than what I'm getting paid on my scholarship, right, mm-hmm. or and have a chance at, at going, you know, getting into the system sooner. And the the one out of one thousand chance that I have at that point to to make it to the big leagues, and right. who knows how long it would take. Yeah, right. In my and I knew what my role was going to be because Buster Posey was in his prime at the time. So, so I'm going into that pick and I had discussions with the giants leading all the way up to the draft. Right. But I, I, I'm saying, you know, obviously my mentality is if I'm going to make the big leagues, I'm going to try to be Buster Posey's backup. I'm going to do everything I can to be that guy. Right. Right. Because I wasn't that type of player that was, that they were going to build, um, they're going to build a big league roster around. I'm Doug, Doug Smith. Doug Smith always said, you know what? Every team needs three catchers. Why, you yeah. know, why not be the, the third guy still in the big leagues, you know? Right. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's where my head was at. So I could either gamble and that could take me eight, eight years or get finished my school. I'll probably get drafted again. I ended up not. Um, but, you know, that was I was kind of gambling on myself at that point that I'd get drafted again and get still get a shot at my ultimate dream to play in the big leagues. But I'd have my degree because I just knew that. Once I got into pro ball, I wouldn't want to go back to school at all. What would have so, been your squill point? Like how much, what would you have, like if the, if the Giants had come up with some, if the Dodgers, if the Giants come up with 25 grand, you may right. change your decision? No, it, it probably, it would have had to have been 
a hundred or more. Oh, that's good. Probably at the time. Yeah, I, I think, I, and and you know, that's probably higher than what a lot of guys' numbers is are. But I also, you know, felt like I I, I don't know. I I don't know really where that number came from. I was just talking with you know, some, my, obviously my dad. No, I mean, that, my that, that's a, that's a good number, school, right? Because you can you yeah. can use it to finish school. So that it's, finishing school is easy. And you can live on some of it and invest some of it. And that, that's it's interesting because we had a player this year, Connor Cannon, when he got drafted, uh, he got drafted lower than he thought. So I thought there might be a chance that he would come back. And I talked to people who were in the know and they're like, no, he's getting a, you know, they drafted him low because they already told him, hey, we're going to pay you. You know, it was a six figure number. You're going to get X amount of whether you're the 10th round pick or the 7th round pick. We're going to pay you the same money. And that's obviously why why he signed. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, I, I, you know, and I, I'd love to talk to more of your, you guys about it. Cause it is, it is the dream, right? The dream yeah. is to play in the big leagues. Well, I mean, that was always, that was what made it so tough is, is from age five years old, four years old, all I ever thought about day, night, I slept, ate, breathed, like all I ever wanted to do was play in the big leagues. That's all I cared about. So it, you know, I just happened to be good at school too. I was lucky that it came easy to me. Right, because there's so many guys that it doesn't come easy to. Um, and, and I'm not saying I didn't have to try. I definitely had to try and 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 work for it. But uh, it was relatively easy in comparison to some. So it was very difficult to pass up what could have been or what felt like could have been my only opportunity to go do that at that time. So. One of my favorite guys in the game, the great Dan Pellegrino. Thanks again for joining us. We'll do it again in a couple weeks. Hopefully the Padres will uh, have moved up. Last time we talked, they were sixth. Now they're third. By the next time we talk, they could be the number one team in the National League. Would love to see the rest of the league in the Padres' rearview mirror next time we talk is all. Thanks a lot. It's always fun. Thanks. All right. 